It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Live podcast. If you want to go back and listen to any episodes, including our most recent one, which was a chat with Chip Hale and Derek Lilliquist, head over to our blog, Curly W Live, or you can search for the podcast through iTunes by searching Curly W Live. So, once again, Nationals fans, we are coming to you from the Curly W Live studios, which for a few more days are located at the 15 ballpark of the Palm Beaches here in West Palm Beach, Florida. Spring training is coming to a close, and we are looking forward to getting back to D.C. and starting the 2018 season. So this episode marks a return to the All-Star Game series format that we debuted a few weeks ago, which uh, in that episode we took a look at the 1969 All-Star Game. So on this episode, we are going to go further back into baseball history by talking about the 1962 All-Star Game, which was held at the brand new D.C. Stadium. We will once again be joined by noted D.C. baseball historian and author Fred Fromer. Once again, Fred Fromer is the author of several books, including You Gotta Have Heart, which is a history of Washington baseball, of which George Will said, Frederick Fromer tells this fascinating story splendidly. No fan's library should be without this book. And like I talked about on the last podcast when we had Fred on, it's a great book for um, for new D.C. baseball fans, for old D.C. baseball fans. Um, I have it on my bookshelf, and I definitely recommend uh, you having it on yours as well. Uh, in addition, Fred is also the head of the sports business practice at the Dewey Square Group, a communications firm in Washington, D.C., where he provides strategic communication and other services to sports clients. Prior to joining Dewey Square, Fromer worked at CNN, the Washington Post, the Associated Press, and while at the AP, he created a groundbreaking, groundbreaking beat on the intersection of sports and politics, and he covered the Roger Clemens trial. He has also written for the Washington Post, like I said, the New York Times, Political Magazine, The Atlantic, and Washingtonian Magazine. You can also find Fred on Twitter at F. Fromer. So, the first of two All-Star Games in 1962 was toasted at D.C. Stadium, marking the third time the Midsummer Classic was held in the nation's capital and the first time at the venue. President John F. Kennedy threw out the ceremonial, ceremonial first pitch and the National League topped the American League 3-1. to um, It was the 11th game, 11th win in the last 15 games for the National League. D.C. native and Los Angeles Dodgers shortstop Maury Wills went one for one with two runs scored and a stolen base to capture the Arch Ward Trophy. In the first year, it was given to the game's most valuable player. And the game itself featured 18 eventual Hall of Famers. Now, this is a really good conversation between Fred and I, and it was pretty fun to compare what we talked about uh, on the 1969 All-Star Game podcast to what went on in 1962. So, uh, without much further ado, here is episode 14 of the Curly W Live podcast, a look at the 1962 All-Star Game. Enjoy. Beautiful D.C. Stadium in Washington hosts the 32nd All-Star Classic, and from all pregame indications, this should be one of the most colorful of all time. A sellout crowd of more than 45,000 is packed into the park, 
anxious to see if the National League stars with a lineup of veterans can match the awesome strength of the American League sluggers. President John F. Kennedy takes time out from his executive duties to relax and enjoy baseball at its best. And welcome back to the Curly W Live podcast. We are once again joined by Fred Fromer. As I uh, explained in the intro to the podcast, he's back for our second episode talking about all-star games that have been held in D.C. So uh, it's great to have you back in the Curly W Live studios, Fred. Uh, today we're going to look at the 1962 all-star game. So we got some great feedback on the 1969 episode. So for all you fans out there listening that might have missed it, uh, be sure to head back to the website, Curly W Live, to check out our talk about the 1969 All-Star Game. So, once again, Fred, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be here, Kyle. So, if we look at the D.C. baseball from in the early 60s, specifically, you know, 1960 to 1962, um, around that time, um, it was a bit of a hectic time in uh, D.C. baseball history, to say the least, wasn't it? Yeah, a lot of turnover. Uh, the long term Washington baseball franchise, known as the Washington Senators, uh, moved to Minnesota to become the Twins for the 1961 season. And the American League immediately awarded an expansion team to Washington and also called them Senators, so they started playing in 1961. And then in addition to that, the, the, the city got a new stadium. Right, a new stadium opened uh, in the fall of 61. The Redskins played there that fall, and uh, the Senators played in 1962. And um, they christened the ballpark uh, with opening day, uh, uh, christened it for baseball. And then, of course, the All-Star Game was the, the big event uh, that summer. And then with, with all the changes happening in, in D.C. baseball at the time, the city was awarded one of two All-Star Games, as we're talking about here. Um, you know, was that kind of uh, part of the whole getting a new, another team, or was it part of getting a new stadium? What kind of went into D.C. landing the 62 All-Star Game? I think the main factor was having a new stadium. Uh, that's always been a factor for Major League Baseball as it is today. Um, and uh, in 1961 um, it was when the American League and National League made the decision to give Washington the All-Star Game, and it was really at the request of Pete Casada, the Senators' president, who made a, per- a personal request um, to both leagues. Uh, so I think the, the fact that they had a new team probably helped, but the main factor was the new stadium. Oh, gotcha. Okay, that's similar to the way things go today. Teams get a new park, and they automatically... Um, you know, get in line for for a new for an All Star game. So it's, it's good to see that. It's- One interesting difference, though, is that uh, you know nowadays these are awarded years in advance, and uh, back then they often make this decision just a year before. So it wasn't as big of a deal, uh, as big of a production as it is today. Right, and we talked about that a little bit on the '69 All Star Game po- uh, podcast, where um, you know it happened so quickly, and uh, you know especially when you look at the four games in DC, uh, you know '69. Um, 62, 56, and 37, those are four games in, in a relatively short period of time for one city. Um, so, yeah, like I said, there's a little bit of a difference there. Absolutely, yeah. They, uh, when Washington didn't have much of a great baseball tradition in the 20th century, but they were lucky, the city was lucky to get uh, so many All-Star games in a relatively short period, as you point out. Absolutely. So, uh, like I said, D.C. Stadium opened in October of 1961. But so the, the All-Star Game was the first big event there. Like the Redskins played and, and the Senators obviously played there. But this, this was the, the first big grand event for the stadium. Right, the first real national event. And, you know, it's hard for fans today probably to, to see the, the beauty of uh, now RFK Stadium since it's uh, pretty much uh, in its last dying days. But um, when this stadium opened, people thought it was just fantastic. Uh, New York Times described it uh, as a sumptuous ballpark. Um, the New York Times columnist Arthur Daly called it magnificent. Always said, in keeping with its local surroundings, the arena is filled with hot air. <laughs> everyone had everyone had jokes back then, huh? 
you gotta have a dig at DC every time, right? <laughs> Something's gonna change. <laughs> um, so as as we we've noted a little bit here, um, this was one of two All Star games, and and I kind of want to talk one of two All Star games that season, I should say, and I kind of want to talk about that for a moment because I mean even to me as relatively young baseball fan, this seems like a pretty foreign concept to our listeners. Can, can you kind of explain the process of having two All-Star games for, uh, I believe it was a four-year stretch? Sure, it was kind of a bizarre stretch of baseball from 1959 to 1962, so this is the last year they did it. Uh, Major League Baseball had two All-Star games, um, and the main reason really was to put more money into the Players' Pension Fund, which mm-hmm. had, um, MLB had fallen behind in some of the payments. Um, after the 1962 season, the owners uh, ended that practice and they agreed to increase the players' share uh, of proceeds from, from one All-Star game. Uh, but it was kind of an unusual arrangement. It really, in a way, it kind of took away the uh, unique quality of one All-Star game. You kind of water it down when you have two. Exactly. So we'll, we'll talk about the game a little bit more in a, little, in a second, but to go along with the two All-Star games, um, the Senators had one representative this year, or that in 1962, in, in the All-Star games, Dave Stenhouse. Um, but I, what I thought was funny, looking at when I was looking at both games, uh, he didn't pitch in the one in D.C., but he got to pitch in the one in Wrigley Field, and that that seems kind of uh, crazy to me. That he didn't get to yeah, he, they didn't really take into account uh, the local fans' uh, rooting interest the way they do today, right. or the way they really should have even then. Uh, you, you're right. Like, why in the world would they start him in Chicago and not in Washington? Um, but uh, he, he didn't make an appearance in that one game. In fact, uh, as the sole representative of the team. You know, Washington fans didn't see anybody from their team play. And if you factor in the previous two All-Star games, uh, that, that's a grand total of one at-bat for one Washington player in the first three All-Star games. So, really, Washington was getting the shaft, unfortunately, even though it was hosting a lot of these games. Yeah, we got, uh, we got four games in a span of about 20 years or so, but we couldn't get anybody, any of the guys into the game. Right. It wasn't until 69 where Frank Howard... Uh, really had a starting role as, as a starter and, and someone hit a home run. DC was represented on the coaching staff by our manager, uh, Mickey Vernon, so it was good good to have him uh, a part of it as well. Right, yeah, that was a good presence for Washington. Mm-hmm. Now we, we move forward a little bit to um, the event itself, All-Star Week. And like I said, we talked about in the, in the 1969 podcast, that was kind of the first time they um, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance around a game. Um, and it was kind of congruent with, them, the Major League Baseball celebrating 100 years of baseball. Uh, but this this one was a little bit different. It was a little more uh, reserved. Is that right? Right. You didn't have quite quite the hoopla, uh, although it was obviously a very hot ticket. Um, the Washington Post uh, had a funny line uh, describing the Senators ticket director, and he said the difficult task of appeasing the very important people in the city. And brother, everybody is a VIP in Washington. <laughs> and it's funny, uh, that's kind of, you could kind of describe Washington in the same way now. Absolutely. 60 some years, uh, 50, 60 years later. If you don't have your tickets yet, it's going to be quite the hot ticket this summer for everyone's going right. to realize they're going to want to be at this game and be at the Home Run Derby and the Futures game. And right. I mean, I think the number of VIPs or people who consider themselves VIPs has probably grown right. exponentially Absolutely. since 1962. Vice President Johnson was a guest speaker at the All-Star Game luncheon prior to the event. Right, and he had a really funny line um, talking about the uh, debate about uh, the wall between church and state. He said, quote, I am among those who have prayed for the Washington Baseball Club if the Supreme Court doesn't mind. I don't, I don't think the, the court minded back then. <laughs> it didn't seem to help much. They came in last place anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, so moving on to the day of the game, and uh, I'm actually look. Uh, I have the baseball reference page open right now. 45,480 fans at a day game. Uh, that, that seems... I mean, it was, it is the All Star Game, and it is a big event, obviously. But that, that's a big crowd. 
Yeah, it's a very big crowd, uh, especially back then. Um, you know, especially the Senators didn't really draw much right. for regular season games, so this was the game to go to. I think I saw one reference in a, a newspaper story that it was kind of like you, you casual fan would go to opening day and the All Star game, and uh, you all serious if that were to happen. But obviously, they weren't close to making that. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have to worry about it back then. So now moving on to the uh, day of the game itself, um, you know, the, the, the All Star game itself. President John F. Kennedy, um, like Richard Nixon in 1969, was was a big part of the event. That's right. Um, he threw out the first pitch, uh, and um, like FDR many years before, um, he took center stage before the game started. Mm-hmm. Now, on our last podcast, uh, we talked a lot about, like I said, Richard Nixon's his involvement in the week itself, and frankly, his love of baseball, where we, we joked about his line about wanting to be a, a sports writer or a baseball writer instead of a president, uh, which, which right. we found kind of, uh, kind of ironic, but... Um, where where did JFK's um, baseball fandom kind of fall in the realm of, of presidencies? Was was he as big as Nixon? What 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 was he like as a fan? He was a pretty big fan. Um, he wasn't quite as passionate uh, about baseball as Nixon, but right. um, they enjoyed him with the players. Um, he actually played uh, softball with his fellow senators when he was in the Senate. Hmm. Um, he uh, he took, took a shine to the game, but um, not quite as passionate about the sport as as Richard Nixon. Okay. And then, then he had a pretty close relationship with, uh, with Stan Musial. That's right. Uh, the Cardinals uh, star, Stan Musial, had campaigned for, um, for Kennedy. In fact, uh, Musial was one of several athletes uh, on a committee. It was called the National Sportsman for Kennedy Committee. Mm-hmm. It included athletes such as uh, Willie Mays and Joe DiMaggio and other athletes from different sports. And so uh, the two of them actually had a reunion uh, before the 1962 All-Star Game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Musial was playing in his 22nd All-Star Game. And uh, he approached Kennedy before the game, and they greeted each other uh, in the stands. And Musial um, actually reminded Kennedy, who was just three and a half years older, about a funny line that Kennedy had said during the campaign. JFK had told him, quote, They tell me you're too old to play ball, and I'm too young to run for president. I have a hunch we'll fool them. <laughs> was there, there was a relationship, I believe, between, um, was it between JFK and Ted Williams, or was it Ted Williams and Richard Nixon? How did that kind of play out? Really more uh, Ted Williams and Richard Nixon. Okay. Um, Ted Williams was really a fan mm-hmm. uh, of Nixon, and during the '60 campaign, um, JFK actually uh, saw Ted Williams at an airport, like across the tarmac. And <laughs> he was so mad, he said to his aide, "Look, there's Ted. He's wearing a Nixon button." <laughs> so yeah, there of course, goes, you know, there goes both, that uh, Had the Boston roots, so I think <laughs> that's the thing that really angered Kennedy. That's funny. That's funny. So. Um, now, once the game started, uh, President Kennedy, I've read some reports that he kind of reverted to his, his old ways of relaxing, enjoying the game, putting on his sunglasses, uh, maybe enjoying a cigar. That's right, a cigar, a Coke, and, um, you know, the, the real uh, action that was commented on by a lot of sports writers was he took off his, uh, his suit jacket, um, which you know, nowadays would seem common sense on a summer day in Washington, but right. uh, which is a more formal era. Uh, Many fans, um, men who would go to games, would take uh, with their jacket and tie with them. So um, he actually took off his jacket, and then people in his box did as well. Mm-hmm. And so people thought, wow, this is pretty, what a cool president. No jacket, sunglasses, smoking a cigar. Yeah, and he, uh, I mean, he was, he was rooting for Musial in this game. I mean, I've, saw, I've seen some quotes about it, that he, he's ready for him yeah. to, uh, to, to have a good, good game. He said um, before the game, wouldn't it be wonderful the old man got a hit? <laughs> and in fact, he got his wish. Yeah, um, the game was scoreless for, for quite a few innings, and uh, Musial actually came on as a pinch hitter okay. um, and got a hit, and the, the whole crowd went crazy, especially Kennedy. Um, and that actually led to the first run of the game. Um, 
Yuzu was lifted for a pinch runner. Uh, Maury Wills came in, stole second, and wound up scoring the first run of the game. Maury Wills comes in to run for Musial. The league's leading base dealer wastes no time engineering another theft, so it's left up to Dick Grote to bring the flying Wills across with the first run of the game. Grote, who's having a fine year at the plate, delivers a bingle up the middle off Pasquale, and Wills rides home. That's great. So, like you said, the game itself featured 18 eventual Hall of Famers. Uh, the National League won 3-1. Uh, Don Drysdale started the game for the National League, while Jim Bunny starting for the, Jim Bunning, uh, who eventually, as we know, had a career in politics, started for the American League. Uh, Roberto Clemente recorded three of the National League's eight hits, and the American League scattered just four hits in the game, and their lone run came on a Roger Maris sacrifice fly. And, and what I kind of found funny about the, uh, the pitching matchup this game between Drysdale and Bunning, they, they faced off, right, uh, on the mound and, and in the batter's box? Right, uh, Bunning actually knocked down Drysdale with a pitch, which wow. uh, claimed that just got away. Yeah, yeah, I bet it did. John Drysdale, the Dodger, uh, actually handed the ball to Juan Marichal, uh, who, who, who pitched the, I believe he came in, in the fourth inning of that game? That's right. Yeah. Uh, pitched a couple scoreless innings and was a winning pitcher. So, like you said, um, Stan Musial got the hit that JFK wanted, and he was replaced by Maury Wills. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned Maury Wills. Uh, obviously, he went on to win the MVP of the game, but he was a D.C. native. He attended Cardozo High School. Um, so it had to have been pretty special for him to play one of his seven All-Star games here in Washington, D.C. And it probably was pretty cool for fans back then to have a local uh, player, um, although he was a Dodger at the time, um, to have him in the All-Star game in their hometown. That's right. I mean, it was the closest uh, Washington fans really got to see anybody play from uh, the local community. As you point out, not a uh, member of the Senators, but you certainly kind of have the rooting interest of uh, the local local boy done well. Right, and, and he um, said so not only did he play, but uh, he won the MVP award of the game, which is actually, this was the first year it was uh, handed out, the, the Arch Ward Trophy. Um, he went one for one at the plate with two runs and a stolen base. So, you know, that, like I said, that had to be pretty cool that week, and, and I think he he stayed at home this week. He didn't partake or he didn't, you know, use a hotel room, right? Right, he stayed with his family, and it kind of backfired on him because when he got <laughs> to the stadium that day, uh, all the other players had arrived uh, by bus, and they were already in the clubhouse, and he tried to get in the clubhouse, and the clubhouse attendant uh, just didn't believe that he was a player because he was about 5'10", which is, you know, short for, for baseball players. Right. And uh, I had a funny story, actually, from my book. He, he said... Um, the, uh, the clubhouse attendant, um, even when he showed him his Dodger bag and everything, he still didn't believe. And so, um, the uh, Morning Walls uh, said to the guy, "Listen, I'm a Dodger player, and I'll prove it. Open the door, and the guys inside will tell you." So the clubhouse attendant opened the door and yelled, uh, "Anybody inside know this guy?" Meaning Wills. Mm-hmm. And uh, Morning Walls told me that baseball players, you know, having a sixth sense of humor, they all looked at me and said, "We never saw him before." And the clubhouse attendant said, "I knew it. Get out of here." <laughs> but obviously, he finally made it in after. Some more persuading. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't shock me. Knowing baseball players, there, there's no chance that he's going to get let in after that. That's uh, right. And I, I, what, I, what I'm hoping for too is maybe he winked at the uh, security guard as he left for the night, or if he if he had any words to say for him as he left for the evening after he won the MVP award. He did. He actually went up and said, uh, he kind of was gloating a little bit, and nice. he now he believed me, and he said the clubhouse attendant still didn't believe it. Was, <laughs> it was, apparently, he didn't watch the game. Wow, that's <laughs> awesome. That's, that's... In your hometown, too. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, now, towards the end of the game, um, there was a pretty uh, interesting interaction between Joe Cronin, uh, Casey Stengel, and President Kennedy. Uh, can you can you take us through that a little bit? 
Sure. So uh, Joe Cronin um, had been a star player manager for the Senators, so led the team and actually led Washington to its last pennant in 1933. Mm-hmm. Uh, by 1962, he was the American League president. Casey Stengel, of course, had been the longtime manager of the Yankees, but by 62, he was uh, managing the expansion New York Mets team. Okay. And so he's on the uh, National League roster as a coach, uh, first base coach. And so at the top of the ninth inning, uh, Cronin summoned uh, Casey and said, hey, come over to the, co- coach's box, uh, come to the president's box. And um, Stengel came over and said to Kennedy, Hi, Mr. President. It's nice to meet you. I'd stay a lot longer, only I'm not working for myself. <laughs> and he laughed. And uh, Kennedy laughed, as you did. <laughs> right. And the, the crowd saw this all play out right in front of him, right? Yeah, the crowd loved it. Uh, Stengel and, um, and Stan Musil got the largest ovations. In fact, um, when one of the ovations was uh, so loud for Casey Stengel, the Washington Post comments, Bob Addy said that uh, the startled question from the press box was that the Medicare bill pass on Capitol Hill <laughs> yeah, awesome. actually didn't pass until a few years later. A couple of years later. That, that's, again, everyone, uh, seems like the, the writing back then, everyone, especially around these All-Star games, everyone had, um, you know, a, 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 a joke. Like I said, we talked about in the 1969 game, at least there wasn't rain. I mean, however however these games played out, there, at least there wasn't the rain that they had to deal with a couple, couple of years later. Right, perfect day. Uh, Low 80s, which isn't too bad for Washington, although um, what I understand, it was very hot on the field that day. As, mm. as you know, off K-Stadium really holds the heat pretty well. There's not much of a breeze and get through it. So it was a hot day for the ballplayers. You know, they still played in the middle of the day. Uh, back then, of course, eventually the All-Star Games moved to prime time at night. night yeah. All right, well, we appreciate you hopping on the podcast once again. Um, fans really appreciate this look at, at the, uh, the previous All-Star Games that we were um, lucky enough to host in, in the great city of Washington, D.C., and we look forward to talking to you next time where we'll get uh, a good uh, look at the 1956 All-Star Game. So until then, Fred, appreciate you joining the podcast, and we look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. Enjoyed it. All right, thanks. Thanks again to Fred for joining us for a look at the 1962 All-Star Game. Fred's knowledge, insight, storytelling, passion, uh, it's all very much appreciated, and I know I am learning a lot through these conversations, and I hope uh, you as listeners are too. I would also like to thank and credit uh, Tell Raw Productions and the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum for providing the newsreel audio that you heard throughout the podcast. Jim Lemming, a Philadelphia area broadcaster, is the voice you heard on the newsreel footage. So thanks again, like I said, to Tell Raw Productions and the Hall of Fame for um, making our podcast that much better. So thanks again. Uh, like we always say, we want your feedback, so please tweet at me, at Kyle Brostowitz or at Nationals, and subscribe to the blog at Curly W Live, which is curlyw.moblogs.com, and you can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching Curly W Live. We're getting close, Nationals fans, and as I mentioned in the open, spring training is winding down, and we are getting close to heading back to Washington, D.C. for the start of the 2018 season. We will see you at Nationals Park on March 27th for the exhibition game against the Twins before the club heads to Cincinnati and Atlanta to kick off the season. The Nationals, Nationals will return on april 5th for our home opener at nats park so we look forward to seeing you uh, either at that game or throughout that first homestand and throughout the entire 2018 regular season so thanks again for listening nationals fans we will see you next time on curly w live podcast